Well, it's been a while since we spoke to you, and you might say, Brendan, that we weren't missed, and there are about six billion people on Earth, and one of them reached out to us. Now, there are two Stephanies that are fans of the podcast, one that only you know, and one that both of us know, and the one that both of us know said, hey, by the way, no podcast, and on a, a work instant message client that we will not name. And I said, yeah, no, we've both been busy, and it's tough. And she said she missed it. So I don't know if that makes you feel better, Brendan, that one person reached out or make you worse than only one person reached out. But it's it's a pretty big ratio, you know, five, 599 million, no, 5,999 million, 999,999. I think I missed one there, but to one. That's the ratio right now of people who don't care about our podcast and who do care about our podcast. Well, I'll say two things. One, I missed the podcast, even though it was largely my schedule that made it pretty pretty impossible to record. Two, brag. early early correction: seven point five three billion people on Earth as of oh. twenty seventeen. Oh wow, we're well. well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> moving on. Okay, uh, and and finally, <laughs> uh, if if you're listening, Steph, uh, is always invitation, open invitation to the Big East tournament every year. If you can pull it off with your schedule, I know that she's got a lot going on too. So I'll be at the Big East Tournament excited about that, and I'm excited to get this uh, podcast started. Yeah, I think 1.53 billion people have been born since our last episode. <laughs> now that's comedy. Double bonus the rest of the way. Double two bonus as well. That's right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Double Bonus Podcast with your hosts, uh, Tom and Brendan. Uh, since we, It's been about two and a half months, maybe a little bit more, since we last recorded, and a lot has gone on in college basketball, in fact, most of the season. Uh, one note is, uh, you know, we were kind of tracking pretty closely with um, the Ken Palm Podcast a number of episodes. Uh, he had been on four episodes of season two, we had done four episodes of season two, and he has not uh, podcast since... Um, about the time we last podcast, so maybe this will be his encouragement. I'm sure he's listening to our podcast or when it, to uh, record again. Either way, we will have outlasted both Ken uh, Ken Pomeroy and Mark Titus um, and Tate Frazier. So I think that's um, that's pretty good. Uh, we still might be like the fourth most popular college basketball podcast out there, which is more says more <laughs> about the popularity of college basketball than it does about the popularity of our podcast. Yeah, but we put a marker down now by coming back to uh, to cyberspace and to RSS feeds and podcasts everywhere, Podbean. Uh, we are the gauntlet has been thrown down, mm-hmm. and we are back for business. So uh, it's good. Uh, it's good to be back. There's been yeah. a, we, we haven't checked out completely from college basketball. We just checked out from talking to each other about college basketball. So yeah, you can follow us at, at Double Bonus Pod on Twitter. Um, you can also rate subscribe review five stars or more on apple Podcasts. we're on spotify we're on as tom mentioned Podbean. we're on uh, google podcasts uh we're in a lot of places um we have a really high ratio of listeners or no really low ratio of listeners to platforms that we're on so <laughs> um and uh and you also get to us at doublebonuspod.com where you can see the latest episodes and all of that jazz but let's get into the the season uh, Tom, you know, we last recorded early December, you know, Providence was around its nadir at that time, hadn't quite reached its nadir, and, uh, I'm sure that didn't contribute, or that contributed a little bit to me not wanting to do the podcast as often and not making the time, 
But since then, pro- uh, province has perked up. Kansas has been pretty strong all year, but now they're number one in the country, and uh, things are looking up for you and me. Uh, yeah, it's been a very nice uh, change of pace for you. I mean, we actually watched uh, Providence together probably right after the Nadir when they started uh, their Big East conference schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, they had just come off a win against Texas. At, uh, was that in New York? No, that was at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Oh, Dunkin' so, Donuts, right. Yeah, let me, let me, was in New York. Yeah. yeah. So, Take we, me through we, it, when we last recorded, Providence had come off of a disastrous um, a wooden classic, wooden legacy. So the pregame, like they, you know, they do the campus games for a lot of these tournaments to get a fourth by game, and they had hosted Penn, my soon-to-be third alma mater, um, and they lost to Penn at home by six. And you know, Penn was thought to be maybe decent this year. They're actually not that good. They might not make the Ivy League tournament. Sorry, the other Steph. Um, then they went to uh, the Wooden Legacy. They played Long Beach State, which is now 298th in Ken Palm, and blew a 19-point lead and lost by one. On actually a really bad call with, of a foul on a three-pointer, but nonetheless, they put themselves in that position. Might be one of the worst losses for any team that's in bubble contention. Then they lost the very next day by eight to College of Charleston. Uh, a, right after we last recorded, they lost to Rhode Island by 14 on the road. And then after bouncing back against Stony Brook, they then went to um, Brooklyn and played Florida in a game I went to and lost by 32, uh, 83-51 in a game where they shot um, 14 of 40 on two-pointers at 35% and 1 of 18 on three-pointers. Is that bad? Yeah. At that point, they were 6-6, six and six, despite the fact that they had like five seniors and seemed to be a potential top 25 team entering the season, and it seemed like basically the season was lost and I was looking at it like I'm just taking it one game at a time literally it's like I want to win the next game and I want to beat Georgetown and I want to beat Villanova and I want to beat Seton Hall and I'm, I'm not going to think about the NCAA tournament so they beat Texas and they went started 3-0 in conference including a win over Marquette in overtime a, a very dramatic win including AJ Reeves three-pointer tie at the buzzer of regulation and they lost four or five uh, and it seemed like okay their only win was at home against St. John's one of the worst teams in the conference and it seemed like, okay, well, they had a nice little run, but really it's not looking very good. But then, back-to-back wins at Butler um, and at home against Creighton. Creighton's only lost since early January. And they had actually, in the bad stretch, blown a five-point lead with two minutes to go to Creighton at Creighton and lost. Uh, they then lost two in a row, but now they've won three straight. I was at the Seton Hall game two Saturdays ago uh, where they, they knocked off um, the Pirates with 35 points by Alpha Diallo, and they went to Georgetown one by 10. And then this Saturday... I completed an operations final. Some of us went to a nearby watering hole. And at noon, Eastern time, we had Kansas Baylor on one side. We had Providence Marquette on the other side. Providence got an early lead and pretty much uh, controlled the whole game for the fr- um, against Marquette. And after they won that game, I was like, we got we a podcast again. Kansas had a big win against Baylor. Providence is looking good. Why don't you take us then backwards, I guess, through why Kansas is consensus number one team in the country? Kansas has played a very tough schedule, and they've played very well. They have no bad losses. They only have three losses overall. The first one was to Duke on opening night, as we know. Turned the ball over about literally 30 times. Uh, lost that game. Then they uh, did what they did, which was play very well in December. And then they did what they did, which was lose to Villanova uh, on the road. A brutal loss where they were up five in the last minute and somehow lost in regulation. Not great. Uh, then they uh, beat Stanford, another tough game in non-conference. West Virginia... Iowa State to open their Big 12 play 2-0, and then they hosted Baylor and lost to the Baylor Bears for the first time ever at Allen Fieldhouse. Wow. Uh, for, a, for a long time, I think <laughs> Scott Drew had more losses at uh, Allen Fieldhouse than Bill Self, which is kind of funny, uh, considering he plays there once a year. Uh, so they lost there, actually 
had a chance to go to that game, but the uh, weather in I was in Kansas City for work. The weather did not cooperate. Mm. Um, so anyway, but they haven't lost since. They've uh, they have had a bit of an they're they're other than that Baylor game at home. Actually, their Big Twelve schedule did have some of the easier games front loaded. Like they still uh, had Texas Tech and Baylor away uh, through that most of the schedule that was looming. But then they went to Baylor uh, last Saturday and really. Uh, played an excellent game they made a lot of adjustments uh, as far as getting Azubuke Azu- uh, the ball down low the Baylor just really had no answer for Kansas uh, in the half court set and they won and now they're the consensus number one team in the country they're almost a lock to be a number one seed with just three games remaining in the uh, regular season uh, they're in have the inside track to be the number one overall seed because their resume is probably slightly better than Baylor uh, I guess if Baylor beats them in the Big 12 tournament we could see that go edge go back to the Bears but they have Looked really strong. Uh, they are now 25 and three and 14 and one in conference, so they are in uh, line to start their new streak of Big 12 titles at one. Uh, if they finish uh, as they expect, they're favored pretty heavily in uh, two of their last three games, and they're still favored at Texas Tech on the last day of the regular season. Uh, Kansas has been really well. Dotson, uh, Devon Dotson has been great. If you watch a Kansas game, you'll hear someone say, no matter what. He may be the fastest player in the country. It's like one of these uh, check boxes you hear if you listen to watch every Kansas game. Did you uh, know, but, Tom, that that uh, the Red Sox were forced to take Mike Lowell in the, in the trade for uh, with uh, Josh Beckett? Solid. Uh, that's a solid. That's a solid like ten year old, twelve year old reference. That shows how much, how long Brendan and I have known each other. Um, yeah. <laughs> Michael so, K okay. used to say that basically every game when the Red Sox played the um, Yankees after Mike Lowell became like a valuable player for the Red Sox, right? He helped win the 2007 World Series for them. Yeah, it's like just nonstop. It's like one thing he said, but the difference is like this: the 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 Devon Dotson trope i guess you could call it by the way number one in ken palm player of the year rankings um but the devon dotson thing is kind of like you know your different announcing crews come in and like fran fraschilla has definitely said it multiple times but other color guys say it and it's just like no matter who's calling the game you always hear the same things for a long time you'd always hear bill self has more big 12 titles than home losses and like everyone says it. it's on the front page i'm sure of the kansas game notes and just like it's it's obviously a a uh, first world problem to have but the announcers need to come up with some more original stuff uh when they announce kansas games anyway kansas's defense is back to the peak bill self uh, powers they're first in the country in adjusted efficiency uh their offense has been very good their shooting's been a little up and down but um uh their three-point shooting is better than last year two-point shooting uh azubuke is in line to set the single season or career i forget which one it is a field goal percentage record because all he does is take dunks um and I think they're very good. They're definitely beatable, but like they are pretty clearly the best team in the country on the Ken Palm efficiency rankings. And mm-hmm. the gap between them and number two is now over um, 4.00 in the adjusted efficiency margin. Just to give you an idea, Virginia, which was a very good team last year, obviously they had a higher adjusted efficiency margin, um, but they were only just 1.7, um, no, 1.4 up points ahead of the next best team in Gonzaga last year when all was said and done. So it's a pretty sizable chunk. Obviously, uh, I would take the field if I were betting the NCAA tournament, but I think Kansas is the rightful favorite to win the national title uh, out of a Big 12 that has three teams in the top 10 and Ken Palm, the West Virginia sputtered of late. So I really have no complaints for Kansas uh, the way they've played. Uh, pretty exciting team to watch. Some A good mix of old and new, some exciting players um, to watch. You got not only do you have 
Dotson and Azubuke, which is probably the best high-low tandem in the country. But you also have Abaji, who's very athletic and hit or miss offensively. Marcus Garrett has just turned into an excellent defender and uh, has shown some offense. Uh, they've gotten good contri- contributions from Isaiah Moss. Uh, we can talk about the transfer the, uh, from the Iowa, right? Yes. Um, we can also talk about the brawl at some point, I guess. That was not uh, Kansas' finest moment uh, with Silvio de Souza picking up a chair. Um, he's been suspended. But, was I mean, that I'm, wrong? Should he, he, should he <laughs> Was that kind of behavior frowned upon here? Uh, I mean, that's a, we don't have to go into that too much. Obviously, he should not have picked up a chair. Uh, I do think that. Um, Obviously. Yeah, obviously. Uh, I do think that Kansas uh, State, I forget which player it was, but he ran in in street clothes, which kind of like set the whole thing off to a new level. Um, but all uh, all seriousness aside, like DeSouza is going to be a very important inside defender for Kansas when he comes back uh, from his 12-game suspension, which is not that far off right now. They played, I think, about nine or ten games since that game. But so he's only going to help them in the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament. So Kansas is a force to be reckoned with, um, and we'll see what happens uh, as time goes on but very nice coaching job by bill self this year uh given especially it's nice because this may be uh, their last chance to play in the ncaa tournament for two years yeah uh, entering the season um you know we did our top 25 before the season started or maybe right when it started and not i had kansas as third most likely to win the title and, and and tom had kansas fourth so it's not like they came out of nowhere but at the same time um it was based on the fact that Kansas is generally good and there weren't that many great teams. Um, but Kansas has kind of stood out as maybe the, the great team in a season of kind of, I don't say mediocrity. That's too strong. Um, you know, last year they lost LeGerald Vick. They lost both Lawson's. Um, I know LeGerald Vick left the team early. Charlie Moore transferred. Um, and he, he had a really good start with DePaul, but he's been terrible of late as DePaul has sunk. Um, but, uh, so I guess my, my question for you is, Udoka Azubuke, he's sixth in the in the Ken Palm Player of the Year ratings. Uh, Dotson is first, as you mentioned. He um, is tied for first with Obi Toppin of Dayton for most dunks in the NCAA this year. Uh, and he's a top 25 guy in blocks, number three in two points made, number one effective field goal percentage, and top 26 in both offensive rebounding and defensive rebounding rate. Um, like, how would you describe, like, compared to other Kansas big men that you've seen, when I look at his Ken Palm comparisons, number two comparison was Joel Embiid from his freshman, from Joel's only year at Kansas, his freshman year. How do, I know that Yudoka uh, is obviously a senior, he's not a freshman, but how does he compare to other big men you've seen at uh, Kansas? Um, he's definitely taken on a new um, shape this year as far as his body type and he's been a much bigger force defensively obviously he has no shooting touch whatsoever he's like a 43 percent free throw shooter um i've definitely enjoyed watching him more than like the, the more i twins um marcus <laughs> markeith morris Mar- uh, markeith um, morris i think just got his number retired by i know a little, little little bit um i don't know i don't know if i'd gone that far uh i mean the, to me like the uh, yeah i mean they've obviously had darrell arthur um been Excellent for them. The 08 team was amazing. Uh, Patrick, also on that team, uh, played very well for them. Um, Bill Self, a credit to um, – um, uh, sorry, sorry, not Patrick, Darnell Jackson, excuse me. Um, a credit to Bill uh, to Azubuke because Bill Self has been a high-low guy for so long, and then he went away from it a couple years ago, and they went to the Final Four, and Bill Self loves to play high-low, but it's also tricky now with the way – college basketball has played. So I think almost that Azubuke to be so valuable in a game where the stretch five is so valued across the sport 
is a credit to him. Like he is a force that can be not cannot be stopped, and it, despite his free throw shooting is not a liability on the court, um, is a full credit to him in this game in 2020. So I think that's the best thing I can say about uh, Doka Azubuke. They're also he's also very clearly valuable to him they, to the team. They did not lose with him last year. Uh, he got injured last year, and it really set the team back. Obviously, Legerald Vic. Uh, leaving the team also hurt the team, but mm. Azubuke is a very important player for this team, and they basically don't lose when he plays, and he's amazing. So uh, um, he's going to be missed next year um, when he graduates. Um, there's still some question about how the Hackadoke strategy will could be play, could play out in the NCAA tournament. Baylor actually missed, I think, pretty poorly. Two opportunities to foul him in the backcourt with under a minute to go, uh, especially in the one-on-one. I know we only like to talk about the double bonus on this show, but... Um, they had two chances to foul him, and you got to foul him right away. And Scott Drew really should have coached his team. If this, he gets a rebound, you got to foul him just right away. Uh, and they didn't do that, but we'll see if that uh, becomes a factor in the tournament. But he has been uh, he has been a shining star. Um, obviously, uh, not quite the shooting touch we've seen from other big men, but uh, an improved defensive presence and a obviously just unstoppable offensive force. No one catches lobs uh, and throws down more dunks than Doak does for Kansas. Uh, and Kansas and Providence actually, since that fateful day when I um, <laughs> went to the to uh, Barclays Center and watched Providence th- throw up a stinker against Florida, uh, of the major conference teams, the six major conferences, uh, Kansas and Providence are five of the most improved teams relative to their uh, adjusted efficiency margin on Ken Palm at that time. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that um, rating in December still had some preseason baked in, which actually penalizes Providence's improvement because they'd already dropped well below their uh, preseason um, rating based on their poor play to start the season. Um, so Kansas is the third most improved. Providence is the fifth most improved. Uh, West Virginia, another Big 12 team, is fourth most improved, although they, they, these stats are through uh, Monday, and they did lose um, at Texas yesterday, and they're now below 500, I believe, in the Big 12. Yep, 7 uh, and 8. Despite having an incredibly extreme team uh, with the top steals uh, and one of the top blocks, it's it, like let me just look at what we can get back to their teams in a second. West Virginia has their number six in um, field goal defense, number four in three point defense, their uh, number twenty five overall in steals, um, and their number one in the country in offensive rebounding. Despite being number three thirty five in three point shooting and number three hundred in most turnovers, so. Um, that's why they get so it's many offensive game. rebounds because they throw up so many bad threes. Yeah, basically you got to stop turning the ball over because your best shot at scoring is uh, getting offensive rebound. Uh, the other teams on our list, uh, Creighton is number one actually. They've gone from 49th to 13th in that span. Baylor is number two. They've gone from 13th to second. Uh, we talked about them already, and that's that's your five. Also, kind of interesting teams in this list. San Diego State um, has gone from 32nd to fifth. BYU, who just uh, just lost their uh, its first game of the season to UNLV on on Saturday. BYU the same night had a big win over Gonzaga at home in in Provo. They uh, went they've gone from fortieth to sixteenth um, with Yoli Childs having missed some time, which uh, kind of brought their rating down a bit. And then another Rhode Island team, along with Providence, um, University of Rhode Island has gone from eighty first to forty fourth uh, behind the play of uh, someone like Fats Russell who was kind of a scattershot point guard for them last year, but is could become the first player since 2009 to have 20 points per game and three steals per game. Uh, any thoughts on those teams uh, in, in terms of what you've noticed or, or kind of the big improvers of the season? I mean, Creighton and the Big East, a huge credit for them. They've really come on strong. Providence is the only team to beat them since uh, mid-January. 
you got to give Greg McDermott a lot of credit there. Uh, the Big East, kind of, we talked about it when we were st- st- still podcasting back in December. We were wondering, is this conference, like, really that good? And now Seton Hall has played very well. Creighton's played very well. Obviously, Villanova's well. And Providence has stepped up. Um, Seton Hall's projected to finish. This projected to actually be a three-way tie atop the conference between Seton Hall, Creighton, and Nova, with Providence two games back. But I have liked what I've seen out of uh, Creighton and Seton Hall. I think both teams will be very dangerous uh, in the tournament. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski has been outstanding for them as well. And I just, yeah, it's 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 good to see the Big East bounce back because uh, Providence's struggles in the early going were kind of emblematic of the conference as a whole. And they've now, I mean, they've obviously started playing each other, but I think there's no doubt that teams are playing better and look better than they did back in the um, uh, in the early part of uh, the season. I mean, Creighton started, what, two and three in the conference? Um, yeah, with a home loss to Nova and losses at Butler and Georgetown. And since then, they've yeah. gone... Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they were two and three and down by five at home with a minute and a half to go against Providence. Um, the, one note, in that time after we podcasted last, the Big East did have a kind of a turnaround, except for Providence, and Providence also beat Texas in the non-conference. Creighton beat Oklahoma and at Arizona State. We saw you talked, mentioned Villanova winning against Kansas. Um, they also won, uh, you know, basically dominated the Big Five teams. Uh, Seton Hall knocked off Maryland. So it it did get turned around eventually by the Big East, and that's why I think the Big East might be first in the net ratings. Um, either the Big East or the Big Ten. The Big Ten's had an amazing season where basically they have 12 top, literally 12 top 37 teams. One-third, basically, of the top 37 in the country are Big Ten teams, and the only two that aren't are Nebraska's 134 and Northwestern's 132, which is why their Kempom rating as a whole is not as good as, say, the Big 12 last year, which was had no bad teams. But the top 12 for the Big 10 is uh, kind of astoundingly good. Purdue is just 7-10 and 10 in conference, 14-14 and 14 overall, and is ranked 25th in Kempom. And they might be one of the highest-rated Kempom teams left out of the tournament because it's going to be hard to get in with a record that bad. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. A more notes on Creighton. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski, you mentioned uh, the half-brother of, Mar- of Michael Carter-Williams. Uh, he is from kind of the Providence-Boston corridor. My- like Michael Carter-Williams, did not opt to go to Providence. Mar- Carter-Williams went to Syracuse. Zagorowski went to Creighton. Both are big losses for the Friars. They could have used, certainly used Marcus Zagorowski the last couple of years. But that's one of the top offenses in the country. They do go all small. Jacob Epperson, who was one of their best big men um, entering the season, or before the season, he got injured. He's out for the season. And so their most common lineup uh, is 6'2", 6'4", 6'7", 6'5", 6'5", 6'7", being Christian Bishop, who's kind of the de facto center in those lineups with shooting all around. They are um, number four in the country in three-point shooting, and they're taking a a ton of them. Um, And they're number one in the country overall. Uh, sorry, number one in the Big East offensive efficiency, number six overall in the country in offensive efficiency, despite yeah, being last in offensive and defensive rebounding in the conference. Well, that's probably why they're playing so so short, uh, or probably because they're playing so short. They're 245th in average height in mm-hmm. uh, in Ken Palm. So we'll see. That I mean, I guess that could be a matchup liability for them, depending on who they, whom they draw in the tournament. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, give them credit. You shoot threes, you can beat anybody. So And they're 55% effective field goal percentages here. So yeah, Creighton, Creighton is number six. At least I, I pulled the screenshot on, on Sunday, I think before Penn State had lost to Indiana. But Creighton is number six in the month of February, or was at the time, in kind of Bart Torvik's adjusted rankings of teams. Uh, actually, Kansas is number one, no surprise there. Providence uh, was actually uh, number 16. Actually, this is not. This is since mid-December. This is the mid-December date. Providence was number 16. 
Uh, Rutgers is number 20. So Rutgers and Penn State, two of the great stories of the season, um, ha- are likely NCAA tournament teams, although Rutgers' resume is a bit rough because they only have one road win, and they actually yeah, play tomorrow. Yeah, maybe win a road game. But yeah, no, it's it's been a great story for them. Penn State, though, that's a, that's a really good story, just given how how tough that job is and Pat Chambers, what he's done finally, like maybe coaching for his job. Um, We've been saying that for like five years. I know. It's true. Same with uh, Mr. Shaka Smart at Texas, who is also might be just doing it. I mean, uh, might be getting it done at the absolute last second. Yeah. They, they arrive two straight wins, right? Um, Yeah. uh, Virginia and they beat some Oklahoma, I think. Was that that right? Yeah. And they play uh, Texas tech coming up. This yeah, at That's Tech, at Oklahoma, home against Oklahoma State. Um, yeah. Let's move to the teams that have fallen the farthest. And a lot of these teams are, have fallen far because of the early season projections, but not all of them. Um, the biggest movers downward are the national champions, Virginia, have gone from 10th to 48th, North Carolina, 37th. They were already down at 37th by the time we had um, December 18th, and now they're all down to 91st. Tennessee's gone from 28th to 66th. Missouri's gone from 57th to 107th. And then Ohio State has gone from 1st to 12th, which is a small dip, but it's uh, efficiency margin-wise, it's the fifth largest of the major conference teams since the uh, middle of December. Let's start with North Carolina, because Roy Williams never had a losing record as a head coach, and he's about to have it happen. Um he, uh, they have not won a game since January 27th. They've been very unlucky. Uh, they've lost three overtime games this year. They're 0-3 in overtime, including a double overtime game. Uh, obviously, uh, Cole Anthony being injured for a lot of the season has been a major problem for them. Uh, but this just goes to show you like how... I want to use this to talk about Bill Self, unsurprisingly. <laughs> Roy Williams is a great coach, but he has now had, what, two dud seasons... Uh, what was the last one? 2010, right? He's had two dozen seasons in the last 10 years. Like, absolute dud seasons. Not going to make the tournament. Just out of control. And Bill Self, every single year, is top two or three, probably wins the conference or top two or three in the conference every single year. And there's value in that. And I think that's an un- underrated skill about Bill Self is that he's never had, like, a dud season at Kansas. Never. And Roy Williams in North Carolina, which is a better program than Kansas, slightly better, but better, like a true blue blood, has had total dud seasons. We've seen people go to Indiana. Indiana is on the verge of possibly missing the tournament for the third straight year. So just it's shocking how bad the season is for North Carolina, but it's also, to me, a little bit shows just how like how hard it is to do what Bill Self has done and just never have a bad season at a big-time school. And yeah. Yeah. And that's, I just, this has been an absolute disaster for North Carolina, and I'm sure they'll bounce back. Um they bounced back after. Sorry, it was the twenty, was it twenty twenty? Yeah, twenty ten season, two thousand nine. They won yeah, the title, right, yeah. and then and then, uh, yeah. So I don't know. It's just it's obviously like everything that can go wrong has gone wrong for North Carolina. Uh, they played a they played a very difficult conference, but they've had some just really bad losses and by just resumes and by um, like losing to Boston College at home, losing to Clemson at home in overtime. Those are just even in bad years that shouldn't happen. So yeah. This will be the 17th straight season that Bill Self has, will have a four-seed or better in the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I think even if Kansas were literally to lose the rest of their games, they'd be a, a top four-seed. Uh, four um, whereas Roy Williams, you mentioned 2010, but he also had two others, three other seasons where he didn't have a top four-seed. Um, so this would be basically five of the seasons without it, with a six-seed or worse or out of the tournament. Um, and... Yeah, it's, uh, the Duke loss was kind of incomprehensible in how it happened. Uh, another 
there was a been a recent video um, by our, our the Hoop Vision guy. Uh, I don't remember his name, but he did a whole video on fouling up three, um, and it's I go to YouTube and watch it. I totally recommend it. Jordan Sperber's his name, yeah. and uh, I think it's Hoop Vision sixty eight, uh, where it talks about the old research that Ken Palm did about fouling up three and not fouling up three in the final seconds, and it features obviously that North Carolina game, and I think another North Carolina game actually as well. Uh, maybe even the Clemson game. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, well worth watching. And you know, we've been people that are have been kind of pushed back over the years on that you have to foul up three and that it's like a dumb not to. Even after Providence got burned twice against Georgetown last year, um, both in regulation and overtime on that, I I still am okay with not fouling up three. But it's not a, as cut and dry to foul up three as people seem to make it seem. And one of those in uh, those kind of issues of, of it happening happened in North Carolina on that day. Yeah. Bill Self on Saturday rolled the dice to not foul up three with Baylor and bounding the ball underneath their own basket with like eight seconds to go. And they played good defense and uh, it worked out. So, yeah. Yeah. A couple of the points he made, which I think are really, I mean, we, we've talked about before, but one, when you don't foul late in the game in these situations and the parameters were like the team gets the ball down three with five to 12 seconds left in the game. That was kind of the parameter for it. Teams who don't uh, get fouled shoot only 16% on three-pointers, which makes sense. One, because they're rushed. Two, because their teams are only guarding the three, so they're not kind of like um, hedging in or trying to cut off driving lanes. And three, teams have their best defensive players in. Um, so all those kind of contribute to the fact that even the people in general, you shoot 33% on three-pointers, so one out of three times, in theory, you'd get tied. Actually, it's about half of that because of the quality of the shot. Uh, anyway, Virginia is interesting because they're defensive national champion, and their defense has been so bad this year. Uh, we saw it happen a little bit early in the season, and it's just gotten worse and worse, but they've now turned it around with seven wins in eight games, in part, I would say, because of the weakness of the ACC. It, they've played in those eight games only two top 50 teams. They lost to Louisville by seven on the road, and they beat Florida State by five at home. Their other wins over Wake Forest, Clemson, North Carolina, Boston College, and Pitt. The highest-rated team in Ken Palm is Clemson at 64. So I, I guess, one, what do you think of Virginia? Will they get in the tournament? What are their prospects? And two, what's with the ACC with only three top 45 teams in Ken Palm? It's a little weird. Uh, by the way, you said Virginia's defense was no good. It's their offense that is no good. Oh, yes. Their defense Man. is— Wow, ouch. Yeah, I mean— uh... Yeah, the defense is good. Uh, right now, they're sitting squarely on the nine line in the bracket matrix uh, right next to Indiana. So I guess Indiana's a little better position than I thought, but probably still some work to do. Rutgers, by the way, a 10 line on the 10 line in the uh, bracket matrix. Uh, Virginia is just, you know, they lost a lot of uh, talented offensive players last year to the draft and to graduation. And it's the type of thing with their offense, if it's just a little bit off, I'm assuming it's going to be hard to replicate what they did last year. And that's what it is. They're very slow. And so I think their defense is going to be good. They're going to be dangerous in the tournament. But yes, if you look through their, um, their t- toughest games in the ACC, they did win at home against Florida State, who I think is a very dangerous team. Uh, and they beat Georgia Tech on the road. Uh, but that's it as far as quality wins, uh, period, other than beating Syracuse on the road. Oh yeah, sorry to start the season. Of course, of course, who could forget opening night in the ACC, <laughs> ACC network, um, back on November six. I guess I forgot that game because it was forty-eight thirty-four. I believe we talked about that one earlier <laughs> in the year. But wow, uh, yeah. Uh, so never count out uh, Virginia. I think I'd be a little disappointed with how far their offense has fallen, given 
how well it's supposed to work. Um, but I think that their defense will keep them in the game. They're fourth in the country in defense efficiency and 214th in adjusted offense efficiency. That's got to be the biggest gap uh, in the country, 210 places. So they play very slow, as we said, uh, but they're fundamentally sound. So I wouldn't bet against them. But also, as you said, they're, I think they're, they've played a pretty friendly conference schedule and they haven't really won many of their games. They finish, uh, they're not favorites. They're only favorites in one of their remaining games against Miami on the road. They play Virginia Tech tomorrow Wednesday, which is a toss-up. Then they're at Duke, uh, they're home to Duke, should lose that game, and they're home to Louisville, should lose that game. So, uh, yeah, toughest I mean, games on tougher games remaining at home. So who knows? Maybe they make a little statement. Uh, last two, last four games of the regular season. Yeah, Virginia, um, basically two role players from last year, Kihei Clark yeah, and Mamadi Jakite. Uh, Jakite was 18.6 in usage. Kihei Clark was only 12.9. They they're now both way higher than that 24 over 24 in both cases and especially for Kihei Clark his efficiency has gone way down he's been a little bit turnover prone he's just been too central to the team like he's a 5-9 point guard kind of a defensive specialist last year uh, like a caretaker point guard really when, on offense he's basically been forced into a role where he has to take all the big shots hit he and, and Mamadi Jakite but even Braxton Key with like a more moderate role has not been very efficient um, I want to point out a few other extreme teams since you mentioned uh, Virginia being one of the most extreme. They are definitely the most extreme when it comes to defense. Uh, Stanford's fifth in off, uh, defense and 122nd in offense. They're a bubble team right now. Uh, actually a pretty good team. I watched them beat up on Washington State at uh, in Pullman on Sunday night. Um, Wichita State is eighth in defense and 141st in offense. Um, Memphis is 13th in defense and 188th in offense. On the other side, the best example is LSU, which is third in offense and 177th in defense, uh, which is uh, really, really, well, obviously it's really, really bad. And LSU's a, a, a bubble team as well, uh, even though they're 10-4. and four. And the SEC, that's one thing I wanted to point out. As we're talking about disappointing, SEC people, or these articles about how great the SEC is. You know, last year they had Auburn that was really great, and they had a bunch of tournament teams, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tournament teams. I'm kind of happy that even with all of their big-name coaches that they are the sixth-best conference this year, even worse than the Pac-12, which has had a good year, relatively speaking, and they may be looking at, um, well, Kentucky is always dangerous, but besides Kentucky, who is a team that could actually go beyond the, the first round or two? Auburn's a, a four-seed, LSU's an eight, Florida's a nine, and then they have Arkansas, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Alabama all around the bubble. Yeah, I mean, Auburn proved last year they can go uh deep this team's probably not quite as good as last year's team um so they would probably and probably be my pick to do it uh how about the pac-12 though fourth in the country in uh, adjusted efficiency margin for the conference what a turnaround for them after they were seventh last year um what a a very impressive year we have they have i think they have five teams in the tournament right now according to bracket matrix usc and 11 arizona states on the eight line arizona's a six colorado's a five oregon's a four uh ucla had a big win at colorado on saturday uh stanford as you mentioned is a bubble team uh this conference has really turned itself around uh nicely after last year's uh disaster is probably the only term to use for it uh peyton pritchard is in line to be uh in, in line to be considered at least for a first team all-american up spot uh, at Oregon. So finally some good basketball uh, to watch out West. Um, so give the Pac-12 credit because I know they were a punching bag for us on the show mm-hmm. all last year. So And, and this is um, a Pac-12 that also has had a 
bad year from Washington, a team that was picked by many to win the conference or to at least be like a top 25 team. Washington's in dead last in the Pac-12 at 3-12. and 12. They finally got a home win over Cal after having lost um, nine consecutive games prior to that. Um, yeah, it's still kind of a mess at the top. Like there's four teams picked to finish 12 and six, then UCLA at 11, seven and, and USC at 10 and eight. And UCLA is a half game out of first place behind Arizona state. And they host Arizona state on Thursday. And this is despite the fact that UCLA is only 86th in Ken Palm. They kind of have a, a Providence esque, um, track record this year. Very bad out of conference. They had a, they lost to Cal state Fullerton, Hofstra, um, and they also lost North Carolina. I mean, obviously at the time it didn't maybe seem quite so bad as it ended up being, but now they're they've after starting one and three in conference, they're nine and two in their last eleven. And in most years, you're like, well, the Pac-12 stinks. What does that mean? But this year, those wins include a sweep of Colorado, a win at Arizona, um, and no bad losses, at least not since losing at home to a, a bubble team in USC. Mick Cronin's first year, he's playing in a slow tempo, but his teams are playing um, good basketball. A friend of mine who went to UCLA alum, he and I were texting about this. One, he texted so he didn't realize Kyle Smith, a uh, friend of the show, <laughs> friend of me, I guess, uh, he uh, was at Washington State because they they had played UCLA back in um, right before Valentine's Day. And I asked him how things were going with McCrone, and he said they're finally learning how to play basketball again and, and learning how to play tough and how to play defense. And it's and you, you see it, even though they're actually their defense is still eighth in the conference and one twenty seventh in the country, they're finding a way to win and win close games. Whether they can continue that, they have a tough, interesting, tough schedule. All winnable games, though, home to Arizona State, home to Arizona, and at USC. And I'm sure if they're on the bubble, there's going to be a lot of people who will um, assume a conspiracy theory if UCLA makes the tournament with wanting to get a big name team in there, especially with North Carolina not not really a contender. Well, the team's on the bubble right now in the bracket matrix ahead of UCLA or Richmond, Stanford. I think Stanford's pretty clearly ahead, in ahead of them right now. Mm-hmm. Georgetown, Arkansas. This is according to bracketmatrix.com. Uh, Mississippi State, Memphis trended in the wrong direction and without two of the players that got them some of their better results this year. Mm-hmm. Alabama and Purdue, which is another colossal disappointment in the uh, country. So, I mean, they have to pass all, all of those in theory to get into the tournament, um, plus whoever else. Uh, not just all of those, but I think that it's doable. It's just going to be tricky. I think the bubble is a very interesting bubble this year. There are a couple of teams out there that are like Providence, who's now played its way to the good side of the bubble, I guess. Texas is trying to do it. UCLA, there are a lot of big names as far as programs go, uh, trying to get their get their way into the tournament. So we'll see. It's, it'll be a very interesting last couple of weeks of the regular season. Yeah, I appreciate you putting Providence along with UCLA and Texas and the big names uh, trying to get back in the tournament. Hey, uh, I will say, more, yeah. uh, uh, Providence has more wins in the NCAA tournament in the last few years than uh, Texas does, for sure. So yeah, and uh, it's a reminder. I was thinking on the way on the walk home from work that uh, there was a, a message board kind of survey on the Providence message board um, that asked the question: Are you do you want U- UConn to join the Big East or not? Um, and just well, how do you feel right now? Are you excited to uh, them to come in the league next year or not? And I was part of the 65% who said they didn't want U- UConn in the league. And th- and thinking about it, since UConn left, they won a title the first year, but this is like six straight seasons that Providence has been better than UConn. They just haven't had the NCAA tournament runs to, to match. Um, so in Georgetown, you mentioned them. When the last podcast, they had lost uh, two of their best players to transfer and suspension or uh, kicking off the team. And they strangely had bounced back and played well. You know, they they beat a Butler team just a week or so ago. 
Um, but now it looks like they're about to um, go downhill. They've had injuries to Mac McClung and Omar Yurt Seven, and it looks like it'll be, I guess, this is the third or fourth, third season for Patrick Ewing to make the tournament. So that's one bubble team I think that UCLA has a really good shot to get in over. Um, and before we, what well, we want to do one more thing before we go, we're going to pick our national champion picks right now, because who knows when we'll be back. It might be before or after the national championship, but. Um, <laughs> But I did want to talk about Providence a little bit in terms of their upcoming road. When the conference schedule started for Providence and they were seven and six, I thought they needed to go twelve and six to make the NCAA tournament. A friend, a friend of mine, if someone you know as well, he had texted me. Um, I think right before they played Villanova, um, or maybe the Xavier game on February eighth, I was like, "What do they need to do? What do they need to do?" And I said, twelve and six. They were six and four at the time, and. Um, but now it looks like actually 11 and 7 will be enough. And surprisingly, it's due to the strength of the Big East. Providence has seven quad one wins, um, which is more than, I think the, it's the ninth most in the country, tied for ninth most in the country, despite having three quad three losses and a quad four loss. So that's, they're going to have a very interesting resume, similar to what we talked about with UCLA, with some really good wins and some really bad losses. And uh, but also playing well on the stretch, which apparently is not something that's considered anymore by the NCAA tournament committee. They don't really look at last whatever games or how teams are playing. But in terms of personnel, we've kind of talked about Providence broadly, but Alpha Diallo's picked it up of late. He had a really inefficient start to the season. Uh, the burden he had last year offensively, he continued to have even higher this year, and he was even less efficient than he was last year, and that was showing on the offense, which was down in the 120s or 130s after the Florida game. It's now up to 79th in the country. Luan Pipkins was terrible for much of the season, especially in those bad losses, including the loss to Florida, and he was maybe their best player in the win over Marquette. Uh, He's a transfer from UMass, has been a lot better. David Deucey, one of the most improved players in the Big East. Uh, So those three, plus the fact that they have a couple of bigs and Khalif Young and Nate Watson that play different styles, Young better defensively and more mobile, good passer. Nate Watson is kind of a bruiser inside who hits the offensive glass and can post up. And then A.J. Reeves is a guy who was a sharpshooter, considered a sharpshooter coming out of uh, high school. Last year he was hurt for a lot of the year, but was pretty good when he played. This year he had been really poor in the non-conference season, had shot very poorly, but now he's 40% since the conference season started on threes, and he's been one of their key players as well. Hit a couple threes against, um, uh, against Marquette in that win. And so the, the, the offense is better. The offense is like a top 30 offense, top 40 offense since the, the nadir, and the defense is top 10 since the nadir. And so they really, you know, I don't, I feel like a week from now, we're going to, they're going to get blown out by Villanova and they'll find a way to lose at home to Xavier and then all will be for naught. But at least we're podcasting now in this point that maybe it's the high point of the season or maybe it's not, but at least it's the point where we can pro- talk about Providence in positive terms. Um, and uh, probably need three more wins to get in, I would say. Uh, out of their last three conference games in the Big East tournament, but uh, Big East tournament, by the way, Madison Square Garden starts a couple Thursdays. My uh, my dad's going to come down for it for the first time. Um, oh ever. wow! And it's, today's his seventy fifth birthday, so uh, happy oh, birthday wow. to to Don, um, Donald. Depending on you know how formal or informal you want to be, but <laughs> I'm excited about that. I'm hopeful he's he can't come till Friday, so I'm hopeful that Providence can get through the quarterfinal game. They'll probably be in the four or five game against likely Marquette or Butler. Um, to get to the the semifinals on Friday night, which is always a fun time. So, yeah, what else you, know, you got before we get into uh, our our draft? I just want to say, like, this has felt like a like a really 
bad year for it was felt like at one point had felt like a really bad year for province now they're 48th in the country in ken palm you know the last time they were 48th or better in ken palm was 2016 so yeah i was gonna guess 2015 but i guess it was 2015 16 yeah 2015 they were they finished 27th and next year they were 44th but uh so yeah they've been uh it's been a pretty solid year when all of a sudden done and if they finish it strong and if they had it, it, it the part of me and part of you must wonder if you, you know, if they hadn't messed up so much in the beginning of the year against those winnable games what what could have been they might have even better seed yeah Got it feels it. like they're basically playing at the level of like a six seed right now right um maybe that's a little generous considering they recently got blown out by st john's but uh something around that six seven um so I, I, I just hope to avoid the 8-9 game if they get... Well, one, I hope to get in. Two, hope to avoid the 8-9 game in the playing game. Get in that... If they get a 10-11-12 seed without getting the playing game, I'd be fine with that. I saw one bracket where they were going to face... Their road to the Sweet 16 was Colorado and Penn State. And I, and I would sign up for that. I know that those are good teams. This is not... you know, right. But in my mind, it's like, okay, at least you're not going to play some kind of like under-seeded Kentucky team or under-seeded... Um, you know, Michigan State team or something like that that ends up being a four seed or a five seed that you uh, you get squashed in the first second round. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would take that too if I were a Providence fan. Okay. Okay, let's get in this draft. Um, we're gonna pick teams until we run out of time. We have a hard cap on the on the time of the game or the time of the podcast. So we're gonna pick our teams in order of how likely we think they are to win the national title. And then whoever wins the national title is the greatest of the two of us, or the greater, I guess. It's only two, so uh, it would be greater. So, Tom, do you want the first pick, or do you want next two? I'm going to take the first pick, because I don't think mm-hmm. my team's going to be around for, mm-hmm. for number four. Mm-hmm. So I am picking uh, Kansas as the number one pick here. Okay, okay. Um, good pick. Thank now, you. Now I have, uh, I have two picks. Uh, I am going to take... Baylor, and right. I am going to take. So Baylor, we talked about them a little bit. Let's give them a few seconds here about how good yeah. they've been this they, year. I mean, they are the second yeah. best team in the country. So. Um, you know, Macy Oteague is has been kind of in and out of the lineup. He didn't um, he didn't play all all that well on against Kansas. He's been one of their best players, and so you you he missed he had missed two games and he came back for the Kansas game. He played 29 minutes, but he he didn't play all that well. So just something to note that he is very good, uh, maybe their second best player behind Jared Butler, and he's going to probably you would assume he'd be full strength by the uh, conference tournaments or at least or at least the NCAA tournament. And you know Scott Drew has a history of getting at least to the lead eight. He got there twice. I guess it's been a long time, 2012 and 2010. Last time he was in the second round of the NCAA tournament, second weekend of the NCAA tournament was 2017 when they lost to South Carolina in one of the in a a weird regional where there are a lot of huge teams in the bracket and ended up being South Carolina, Wisconsin, Florida, and um, and Baylor and uh, Baylor didn't get out of there. But so I'll go with Baylor as number two. Number three is really tough for me. Um, like part of me says, is this is this a Duke year? Is this a Duke year? I, I don't feel like it's it's not. A, I don't feel like a Duke year, but. They're a lot more balanced than they've been, although Vernon Carey has been taking on a huge load. Um, I don't want to root for Duke. Gonzaga kind of burned me last year. They were really good. They're quite thin, and Killing Tilly doesn't seem to be 100% still. Um, and I still think their defense is not quite good enough. Uh, I think there's like a, kind of a drop-off here after number two, um, which is, speaks to the quality of the Big 12. It's a down year for the Big 12, and they might have the two best teams in the country. Um, 
I'm going to go with hmm. I'm going to I'm going to go with 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 Duke. <sighs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I I actually typed in Gonzaga for you, but I meant to type in Duke. Uh I see why you do there. I mean, they have the pedigree. Um I don't trust um Gonzaga. Gonzaga's um first in the country in adjusted offense and 34th in defense. So and they have a history the rich, of, the rich man's Creighton, if you will. Yeah. And, I mean, this is the year. Last year they lost to Texas Tech in the Sweet 16, right? Or was that the regional final? Uh, regional final. Regional final. Um, yeah, and they've, you know, they've made it to the national title game in 2017. Few has been there. It just is not, I, I don't know. This, this simultaneously feels like a very good uh, Gonzaga team and also not their best. And so, like, maybe... The field isn't as good, but I don't think they're as good. And, like, does it take a really special team? They just had a really bad loss to – not a really bad loss, but a, a frustrating loss to BYU on the road on Saturday. I guess, obviously, BYU is very good, but they to lose by that in that fashion, I wouldn't I wasn't too impressed with. Uh, that Michigan loss has not aged well in, uh, from the Battle of Atlantis in November. Um, since then, they really haven't had that many tough games, so it's tricky to go all in on Gonzaga. So I'm not going to pick Gonzaga with my mm. fourth pick. We're doing one pick each, right? No, you, now you have two picks. You have two oh, picks. I, oh, oh, two, two picks? Okay. I'm yeah. going to go just after I talk through all of this. I'll be taking Dayton. Ooh. Taking lost a, you're taking a flyer? Is that what you're doing? Oh, I'm taking a flyer on Dayton. Yes, well played. Uh, they have not lost in regulation. They took Kansas to the brink in Maui. They lost to Colorado, another not good loss, but another like totally respectable loss in overtime on a neutral. Um, they're playing very well. They're beating teams pretty handily. They're in control of the A-10. I like Anthony Grant. What he's doing, their offense is outstanding. Uh, their defense, also a liability, but Obi Toppin is definitely a top 10 player in the country, maybe a top 5 player in the country uh, this year. Um, so I am taking Dayton, and this just goes mm-hmm. to show you. Also, oh, I think it would be really cool if Dayton won the national title. I don't like Dayton uh, when they're on the bubble because then they get a, they can get a first four game or they avoid the first four, and that really annoys me. But when they're great, fine. So we'll take Dayton there at uh, the fourth, our fourth pick to win the national title. Um, the Bloom has come off the San Diego State Rose after that mm-hmm. loss yesterday. I wasn't super high on them anyway. I mean, just going through the rest of the Ken Palm top ten, you have San, uh, Gonzaga's third, not spoken for yet. I'm not going to take him, though. Uh, Duke is fourth. San Diego State's fifth. Dayton's sixth. Michigan State somehow up to seventh. <laughs> uh, Maryland, West Virginia, Michigan, Ohio State. So there's really not um, – uh, it's really no clear cut. I mean, there's a bunch of – it's just a it's just a mess. The the uh, They are – and then nine through 15 are all – nine is West Virginia, 21.83 adjusted efficiency, and then – 15 is Texas Tech at 21.39. So they're really bunched up there. Uh, I'm going to take Maryland at number eight. Ooh, uh, Maryland by Maryland. Maryland. Wow. The eighth-ranked team in Ken Palm, I'm taking them to uh, as the fifth pick in this draft to win the national title. Wow. Okay. Top yeah. 30 in offense and defense, uh, clearly led by one of the top inside-outside combos in the country in Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith. Um, yeah. They – they had won, what, uh, nine in a row until they lost at Ohio State uh, yeah. on Sunday in the second of the doubleheader on CBS. I believe you were you were near the building for the first part of the doubleheader between Seton Hall and St. John's, right? Yeah, correct. That's nearby, yeah. yes. Um, I'm going with Gonzaga. I feel like that is an easy pick now at number six. Um, that means the top six is San Diego State is off the board. And um, whew, this, this next one is interesting. 
Um, I am... See, part of me is that should I just pick the team that I think like the most, or should I pick a team that I don't think you're going to pick and then kind of hold out for later? Which is, mm-hmm. which is it's risky. Mind game. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of game theory here, uh, which is another podcast that talk about college basketball occasionally with Sam Vicini. A shout out. It's a sponsor of the podcast, Sam Vicini. He did not pay <laughs> us for that. Um, but now we're not beholden to him, so it's all good. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to go with – I'm just going to pick the team that I actually think is next most likely to win the NCAA tournament, and that team is Kentucky. Wow. All right. Kentucky is only 26th in Ken Palm. (laughs) Uh, And I picked them seventh. So that's a little bit uh, strange. But they have only lost twice since December 21st. Um, And among those wins was a win against Louisville, a win at Arkansas, a win at Texas Tech, a win at Tennessee, a win at LSU. Their only losses were at South Carolina and at Auburn. Um, They're far and away the best team at least, uh, or the likeliest team to win that the um, conference title. They probably win it by two or three games in the SEC. Um, their offense is third, and defense is third in conference play. They have the best two-point defense in the conference. Um, you know, Tyrese Maxey has not been quite what I thought he would be this year, uh, but I think that they're the kind of team that could peak at the right time, and we've seen in um, conference play Emmanuel quickly be quite good and Nick Richards be quite good. Um, and so I, I'll just I, I think Kentucky's probably yeah I'm, I'm, I think Kentucky's in that spot. Cool. I don't hate that pick. I'm going next one for me. Uh, it's not just as a scared Kansas fan. It's not just as a shout out to Steph, our listener, who, as we know, is still listening. I'm taking Villanova. Mm. Yeah. Uh, they've obviously uh, had their runs in the past. Their offense is still very good. They're they don't have a bad loss on their resume. Um, they've lost to six very good teams, Ohio State, Baylor, Marquette, then all in a row, Creighton, Butler, and Seton Hall, not their best stretch, but uh, they played pretty well. Um, their offense is very good. Uh, as we know, uh, Jay Wright can coach up the defense when the time comes, so I'm going to take Villanova with my next pick. Mm-hmm. And then the other pick I'm taking is another sleeper team. I don't really think they're a top national champion contender, but I do like Florida State this year. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So I think they've been playing pretty well. Um, they lost to Duke and Virginia, but on that, have not lost in 2020. In fact, they've only lost to Indiana and Pittsburgh. They started off ACC opening night. Not a good start for Florida State. Lost to Pittsburgh on the road. Uh, but since then, they've been very good. Uh, just came off a big win against Louisville last night. A convincing win at home. Um, so I like uh, Leonard Hamilton's guys. And they are a strong defensive team. Uh, and they are just very physical, and this is a team that every year goes farther in the NCAA tournament uh, than people think. Remember, they were uh, pretty close to going to the Final Four two years ago against uh, Michigan when they lost in the regional final there. Uh, so give me Florida State here. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this just this is just an impossible exercise to rank these teams, uh, and it just goes to show that there are good teams in college basketball this year. Kansas, Baylor, Duke are all good. Uh, Dayton's probably good. But after that, there's a mishmash of teams that can win the national title, and I think it's really hard to rank them. So just that's my disclaimer here. Yeah, I would have taken Florida State in the next two. Um, I'm not sure. Florida State and Villanova were definitely on the top, near the top of my list. But I'm actually going to go with um, a twofer out of the Big Ten here, back-to-back Ooh. Michigan State and Michigan. Um, Michigan State, is they're, t- they're top ten in Ken Palm, both of those teams. Uh, Michigan State still has the pedigree and the talent, although they're clearly flawed. 
Josh Langford's absence has, has been a big problem this year. Rocket Watts is very inconsistent, 91 offensive rating, and they've lost four of their last six games, and their only wins were at Nebraska, who's terrible, and then they had a win against Illinois by one. So very flawed, but still time to turn it around. And then Michigan is kind of the opposite. They've played much better of late. They won the, the Battle of Atlantis early, and then they lost. Uh, they went from 7-0 and to 13-9, and so they lost nine of, of 15 games. But now they've won five in a row including a good win, good wins at Rutgers, at Purdue, and home against Michigan State. Isaiah Livers has been back, and he's been quite good uh, in his return. Um, he's been back for fi- the last five games except for one, and they've won all of the ones that he's been back for. And it does seem strange, like Jawan Howard really, national championship coach in his first season, but I do think that they are um, worthy of this spot. So let's do uh, two more picks each and call it a day. Okay. Uh, well, if we do two more picks each. Won't you end up with one more team than I have? Yeah. So you so, so do you do three picks? I'll do two two picks. Okay. So you do two, uh, and then I'll do two, and you do one, and we'll call it. A day. Sweet. All right. Next up for me, I'm going to do Louisville mm-hmm. uh, and Creighton. We talked about how Creighton can get hot with the three ball, and they're playing really well. Um, and we talked about them a lot. I think that um, I think that this again, any anyone's uh, anyone's it's up for grabs at this point, and Creighton. With their offense, the way they've been playing, uh, they can certainly beat anyone, and they can beat anyone six times. Uh, Louisville, we talked about them. They came off that bad loss. Uh, not bad loss, but that loss last night to uh, Florida State. Uh, they are stumbled of late. They did have a loss to Georgia Tech and Clemson back early in February, but they're still a very good good balanced team, 13th in the country in offense, 33rd in defense. Um, obviously, Chris Mack uh, has had some his share of success in the tournament before. Um, they are very experienced, and they're 33rd in the country in experience. I just see yeah, uh, Louisville as a dangerous team in March so and April, yeah. hopefully. So my first pick, uh, I th- I'm pretty confident in relative to the other ones, and that's Texas Tech. Um, the Red Raiders are the third best team, I think, in the Big 12. I would put them ahead of Western Union based on both teams' recent play. And... Texas Tech's defense is still seventh in the country, and their offense uh, behind Jamius Ramsey, uh, who's a freshman, has been pretty darn good. And even some of the bit players like Davide Moretti, Kyler Edwards, TJ Holyfield have been efficient. It hasn't fully come together on offense, but they're still top 40, and they're second in the Big 12 in offense during Big 12 play, actually worse defensively because they're fouling a lot. They're 10th, and they're also bad on uh, defensive glass. Um, so th- there are weaknesses, but when you have Chris Beard as your coach, um, and you have a top 15 team um, as it is, even with being led by a freshman who, by as you know, Tom, by this time of year, the freshmen are all sophomores. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with Texas Tech. And then my next pick, I'm actually going to go with Seton Hall. I was kind of down on them early. I, there are two other teams that I really thought about hard, and it, depending on who you pick, I'll just tell you who they were. Um, but I was kind of down on Seton Hall before the season started. They were kind of a one-man team. They've been a bit up and down this season, and they have at times played like a one-man team with Miles Powell on offense, and that's part of why their offense is only 40th in the country. Um, I do think when you're heavily scouted that sometimes having that one man is, is really important, and um, and Powell is that guy for them. Um, they need to get more out of Sandra Mamakashvili now that he's back and healthy. Um, but they also have two of the most improved, three of the most improved players, I'd say, in the Big, tw- uh, Big East this year. 
Quincy McKnight as a senior has been more efficient, and he's a terrific defensive player, and part of why their defense is so good. Romero Gill has been one of the best centers in the country this year, um, third in the country in, blo- in block rate, uh, top 25 in effective field goal percentage, and um, and he's part of why their defense is 11th this year. And then Jared Roden has gone from a bit player to like a solid role, role player. So I think the fact that they've developed those players, they still have a guy like Miles Kale who's been disappointing this season, but he's had good years in the past. Tyree Samuel as a freshman has been up and down, but is clearly as talented. That I think that um, that this is a team that has the size and the athleticism plus the top player to maybe make that kind of miracle run. Again, we're talking about whatever this is, the 14th, 15th pick in the draft, but um, but I want to see in Hall. Fair. I was going to pick Seton Hall, but now I'm going to pick San Diego State. Uh, they lost their first game of the year to UNLV at home. Not good. Uh, they have not have not obviously lost before that. Um, they're a very good defensive team uh, this year under Brian Dutcher. Um, I think that this is the type of team that I'm a little worried by their lack of bench. Uh, obviously, they're very top-heavy with Malachi Flynn, Wetzel, and Mitchell at the top. But that said, I am not uh, going to shy away from a team that has as good a defense as they have. I do want to put to bed one ridiculous storyline that always happens when a team loses late in the season about to play in a single animation tournament. When people say, oh, they lost, that's going to help them. It takes the pressure off. But they still can't lose again. It's not like because you lose, you can now lose in the single elimination tournament. You still can't lose. So I don't understand how that takes less. It takes pressure off these teams. Like, does it help you to lose to not lose again? I don't think so. I think it. I don't know. I just don't understand. I never understood that storyline. Well, it takes the pressure off. There's and they needed to lose a game. Like no one ever says that before they lose the game. Like the coaches never says, oh yeah, we need we need to lose. We're gonna go lose tonight. They wait till after they lose and they say, oh yeah, it's not gonna be the worst thing. We lost. Uh, it takes the pressure off. I just never understood that whole. Uh, theme around these unbeaten teams entering the tournament yeah i mean you want to play well i don't like i guess there is some theory about pressure but i don't think it has really necessarily helped (coughs) help teams i mean who's undefeated these teams are undefeated are usually in not very good conferences haven't been tested so the reason why they actually lose in march is not because they're oh we're undefeated wichita state st st joe's whatever the case may be Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky, do we think Kentucky almost lost to Notre Dame and then lost to Wisconsin because they weren't beaten? Do you think that if they had not been unbeaten, they would have beaten those teams? I think those are two really good teams that really took mm-hmm. them down to the wire, and Wisconsin beat them in 2015. Yeah. Very well-coached teams, too. Um, yeah. So the the one team that I was thinking of, and it's from the conference that we um, have talked about being good, was Oregon. I thought about them in that last spot, along with San Diego State. Those are the two that I was thinking of for Seton Hall. But uh, So let's just review as we wrap up the, the draft. Um, here are Tom's National Championship teams. Kansas, Dayton, Maryland, Villanova, Florida State, Louisville, Creighton, and San Diego State. And mine are Baylor, Duke, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Michigan State, Michigan, Texas Tech, and Seton Hall. Cool. I like it. Good good breadth of selections here. And a lot of room for a non-brand name team to win the national championship. So pretty much every other team is not a brand name of this. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway. That's it for us. We've been here for an hour. We said we were going to be here for an hour. Well, we told each other we are going to be here for an hour. I'm not sure we <laughs> yeah. told you. But um, really, appreciate, yeah. Yeah, really appreciate your time, audience, listening. Email us at doublebonuspod at gmail.com. Follow us at, at doublebonuspod on Twitter. Um, and I appreciate uh, Tom's time. And until we talk next, either in person or via the, um, the Skype waves, um, any last words? <laughs> Sounds like I'm going to be executed. No, uh, <laughs> Rock Chalk Jayhawk and go Friars. Yeah, go Friars.
needed a defensive rebound. It was Grady Eifert who secured it. Two-point game. Jerome. Short. Backtap. Diakite. A race for it. Into the hands of Clark. Got a chance to win it here. Up the front. It's Diakite for the win. Yes! From the tie. Diakite squares it in.